after Satan is defeated and so to speak thrown into the lake of fire, a condition from which there is no return and a condition that is that equates the complete, you must understand this, there's coming a time when Satan will be reduced to nothing. Scriptures even tell us that. We look narrowly on him as it furrowed brow and say, is this the one who made the nations tremble? Because in this environment of darkness and deception, where subterfuge and innuendo, half-truths, falsehoods, lies outright and intimidation uh, culminates uh, at the end of the millennium in Satan rising again to recreate the conditions that existed before the beginning of the millennium when Jesus appeared to destroy the beast and the nations that, that were under his sway and armies under his sway. When he recreates that for final dispatch, it begins that time of judgments. Now, even as Satan is destroyed and fire devours those who follow him, now there comes uh, the the, the lake of fire, which we discussed in the last uh, episode, comes to be synonymous with something called the second death. The second death. Um, uh, Let me go back and frame this from Revelation 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now then, the first resurrection is what occurs, is what happens to those who have died in Christ at the return of the Lord. We've talked about that before in great detail. I won't go back and recapitulate it. I will summarize it to say that at the time of the coming of the Lord, when He is revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel and a trumpet call of God, at that time, according to many scriptures, most notably uh, scriptures in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, in, in, uh, as primary passages, the Lord shall be revealed from heaven with the shout of the archangel, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall arise first. They will arise out of, in 1 Corinthians 15 it tells us, they will arise out of a form that was weak, a form that was human, a form that was natural, and it will be uh, eternal, 
uh, everlasting, fading not away. That's the body. It's like the body Jesus had when he himself was resurrected from the dead. Their spirit and soul is what would be coming and they'll join the Lord in the air in suitable bodies for the next uh, event, next epoch, the next set of events. This transformed form is necessary for the next stage. And we saw the last time that concerning these, there is no, no effect of suffering or pain or death because for them, all these former things have passed away. And indeed, there is no suffering, pain or death in the millennium during the time that Satan is bound because those are, those are the former things that have passed away. Now then, as the Lord returns uh, from heaven, when the dead in Christ are raised and those who are alive and remain, they're not raised because they never died. The only thing that needs to be raised or resurrected is that which died. And the only aspect of the righteous that ever dies is their bodies. Their bodies physically die, put in the dust of the earth. Those will be raised. And the form of that resurrection is, as 1 Corinthians said and as I've referenced, sown in weakness raised in strength, sown a natural body raised a spiritual body. All right? Now then, they, the righteous dead, resurrected in this fashion, will return with the Lord to the earth. This same Jesus that you saw go into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. That was the last promise upon the ascension of the Lord as recorded in the book of Acts and the promise given to them by the two men in white apparel. Concerning those, and their resurrection at the time of the return of the Lord. Scriptures say, upon them the second death has no power. Now obviously they've died once, that's why they need to be raised. These things are obvious. What then is the second death? And why is the second death powerless? upon those who have been raised in what is called the first resurrection. And will there be a second resurrection? And if so, what is the relationship between those who are raised in the second resurrection and the second death? Because everybody who is resurrected died once. It is appointed unto men once to die. Not everyone who dies, everyone, almost everyone who ever lived will die once. The only ones who will escape that are those who are alive and remain at the time of the return of the Lord. They will not die, but they'll be changed in an instant in the twinkling of an eye, which is the shortest measure of time 
in, in the Greek uh, way of measuring things. So as quickly as a flash, as quick as a flash, they'll be changed from mortal bodies to immortal bodies. They'll be changed from natural bodies to spiritual bodies. It's one and the same thing. It's way of describing the same thing from multiple different angles. But they will not be changed in this quick flash before those who have died in Christ are raised. When those who have died in Christ have been raised, then those who are alive and remain will be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, and they will subsequently be caught up along with those who have died and now been raised. They'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So much for the idea of um, pre-trib rapture. It's just people who don't understand the Scriptures can't be bothered to read and understand the Scriptures. They cite Scripture on the basis of their prejudices. What they've already decided is true. There's no way for you to come to the idea of a pre-trib rapture if you actually read the Scriptures because the dead in Christ must first rise before anybody is quote-unquote raptured out. Says so, plainest language. So, as the Lord comes, and they're not going to be caught up to meet Him in heaven, they're caught up to meet Him in the air. Why? Because He's coming with the clouds of heaven. That's what it says. People get so addicted to wrong doctrine that they'll actually want to get in a fight with you when you tell them the truth. Get prepared to go through all. If you're alive on the earth at this time, maturity is your mandate because it's highly likely that you're living in the times of the end and you're not going to be raptured out and you'll fall away if you did not become mature. Now the one ray of hope in all of that is some who fall away will be refined but it's not going to be easy. All right, and again, I'm not going down that road any further. Uh, it's tempting to try to unpack and un unravel um, the folly of erroneous doctrines and to try to set the record straight. But you can't do it all in one broadcast. So then, the dead in Christ are raised first and those who are alive and are believers in Christ are changed in an instant concerning both categories, those who are dead and raised and those who are alive and transformed, the second death has no power. And I was asking the question about the first death. Well, why is there first death and a second death? Why is there first resurrection and a second resurrection? Well, to begin with, as I said, the only 
The only thing that can be resurrected is something that died. So, except for those who are alive in the return of the Lord and are transformed in an instant in the twinkling of eye, except for those, it's appointed unto everyone else who's lived to die. That's the first death. The first death is the separation of the body from the spirit and the soul. And with that singular exception that I've noted, everyone dies. It's appointed unto men once to die. So that's the first death. There's nothing weird or strange or spectacular particularly about the first death. Um, Julius Caesar, the character uh, in the play by Shakespeare, in one of his speeches made this statement. He said, cowards die many times before their deaths, but the valiant never taste of death but once. Of all the wonders, it doth seem strange to me that men should fear, seeing that death, a necessary end, will come when it will come. We all have an appointment to die if we're alive. The only exception is if we're alive when Jesus returns and we believe in Him. Then we'll be changed an instant in the twinkling of an eye. So one ought not be afraid of death. It's the necessary end, as Shakespeare said, and it'll come when it comes. God controls all of that. After you've lived, then you'll die. So the key is not to focus on dying, the key is to focus on living. Why are you here? Why did God put you here? What are you here to accomplish? How are you to carry the glory of God while you're here and in the glory of God accomplish the purpose for which you were put on the earth? So the first death is ordinary and normal and common to all mankind. The first resurrection is the first defeat of death. And those who defeat death and come back to life in the first resurrection are those who lived in relationship to God. If you live for yourself, if you live pursuing your own interest, if you live ungoverned in any way, by the sovereignty of Christ and of God, you'll stay dead when others are resurrected. You have to wait for the second resurrection and that is not a good thing. First death comes to everybody, first resurrection only comes to those who have lived in Christ who have lived a godly life, a life that at a minimum feared God, 
They knew who God was to the extent that God was revealed and this would include the ancients who died before Christ. Upon such persons the second death has no power for they are raised to life. It might be argued that when we are resurrected to the newness of life, because it is called resurrection, for if we have, for it says in Romans 8, it speaks of if we are buried with Christ, we shall be raised with Him. Inasmuch as we are partakers of the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection knowing this that the, the, the man of sin has been crucified with Christ, the body of sin might be destroyed, that from now on we should not serve sin. But it does not so speak of the actual raising up from the dead as it is speaking of, quote, the likeness of His resurrection. So it's a spiritual thing as opposed to an actual um, physical raising, albeit in a different body. The second death has no power over them. What is the second death? And when persons are raised in the second resurrection, to what end are they raised? And these are the questions that we now can can, uh, unpack. So as it regards that, Revelation 20 speaks of, at verse 11, said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were opened. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged each according to his works. Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which has been described as the second death. So everyone who joined Satan in the rebellion, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night forever. The second death is this lake of fire that we're talking about. Some analogize this to the condition known as Gehenna, Gehenna which was the valley of Hinnon in Jerusalem where the refuse from the city was burned and there was 
a fire and smoke that went up from that valley day and night because of the fire burning the refuse, fueled by the garbage from the city. So the picture there again is a human analogy, not an actual burning as such. And, and the reason being, here now you're talking about people who have been resurrected. What is the form of their resurrection? We know that that which is sown is not that which is raised. 1 Corinthians 15 makes that abundantly clear. A body that is sown a natural body is raised a spiritual body. A body that is sown in weakness is raised in strength. A body that is sown an earthly body is a celestial body. And 1 Corinthians 15 goes to great lengths to show us the distinctions between bodies. We have these bodies now because they fit with the purposes of God for us in this time. We who will be resurrected to live in the millennium and, and beyond will have a body suitable for that. But no longer will anyone be flesh and blood. So if you're thinking in terms of these references, a lake of fire or the valley of Hinnon and so on, uh, in connection to physicality, then you're missing the point. The point is an existence and a reputation more to the point that, that connects you to the imagery of one who continues to be shrouded in darkness when the light was available. One who continued to oppose God when reconciliation to God was possible. One who continues to exist without being empowered by the light and glory of God's presence. Whether that is an actual existence or simply the memory of it. How long will these memories of the likes of Satan last? Will it become as, quote, a hiss and a byword, a cautionary tale? And what would be the purpose, from an eternal perspective, what would be the purpose of an existence, an actual existence, separate from God? And where might that existence be when the intention is God being all in all? These are unanswered questions in Scripture, at least I'm not aware of the answers. And, but I've raised enough of a challenge to say we cannot simply view these things from the linear perspective and material perspective that we've always been um, inclined to and taught to view them from. Th those are patently inaccurate because the nature of being will be different because of the simple intervening of the principle of the resurrection. Whether it's the first resurrection which has no power 
over the righteous, or the second resurrection, for which purpose the destruction, and the word destruction is used here. Um, Death and hell were delivered up, will deliver up the dead which were in them, Um, and death and hell cast into the lake of fire, this is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Again, we unpacked the lake of fire before, I explained the analogy to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah where fire came down from heaven, the specific reference to fire coming down from heaven and devouring the enemies of God, all those things have been clearly stated. These are not inferences, uh, but the description of the lake of fire is in reference to the Dead Sea and the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, given the location of Sodom in the plains uh, around the Dead Sea. Again, God is clearly employing analogies here. Now, what happens to the righteous dead who were part of the first resurrection, shall they appear before the judgment seat of God? And what, if they do, what is the outcome? Well, the dead are judged out of the things that are written in the books according to their works. We, know, we have known, uh, because it's, it's stated multiple times in scriptures, that there are books in heaven and things are recorded in the books in heaven. But then there are also things God hides in Himself for long ages past. Satan was aware of what was written in the books, but he's not aware of what God contains and retains in Himself. Part of Satan's effort has been to change both the set times and the outcomes that he's read about, that he knew about from his time in heaven and from his familiarity with things written in books in heaven. I posited the question, what about those who were raised in the first resurrection? One of the certainties is they do not go into the separation from God and the permanence thereof. They are blessed and holy, they are accepted in the Lamb, and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So whether they appear before the judgment seat of Christ or not is not so much the point. Those who appear before the judgment seat whose names are not written in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life, come into judgment on the basis of their works. What they did in regards to why they were put on the earth, 
Did they, ful- did they fulfill the purposes for which God put them on the earth? And what about the term, the Lamb's Book of Life? What about that? From Adam to Jesus, there's a genealogy of 62 generations. But at the point of the coming of Christ, the the generations of the righteous on the earth changed from being a physical accounting and a physical record, meaning it was no longer uh, genealogical, so-and-so begat so-and-so. In Christ, or when Christ came, He opened a new and living way to an ancestry back to God through this lineage of the righteous. And that way was opened through His flesh. So it's a spiritual assignment, it's a spiritual assembling in the earth of those who are God's sons. Adam, the first Adam was the son of God, Jesus was the son of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Matthew, son of, son of, 62 generations back to Adam who was the son of God. So in the flesh, his genealogical record was that he was the son of God. But he came to reconcile all the sons of Adam to God who would be assembled to Christ in this new and living way opened through the veil that is to say, his flesh. As that purpose continues, continued, started then and continues to this day, as that purpose continued to unfold, the generations to this day are a single eternal generation, ageless, timeless, the 63rd generation from Adam as the spiritual, not natural, but the spiritual sons of God. This genealogical record is known as the Lamb's Book of Life. It's the statement, it's the book that contains the record of all who are found in Christ. I want to unpack a little bit more of the throne of God and the Lamb's Book of Life when we come back. I'm Sam Solon and I'll see you then. Bye now.